Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, political scientist at North Kentucky University. With me today is my regular co-host, Cleveland Area Attorney and Republican Fact Totem, Jay Carson. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jay. How are you this morning? I'm, I'm good. This has, been a, this has been a fun week. I mean, you could say good or bad, but... But it's been interesting. interesting. Yeah, interesting. That's, that's, that's the word I keep on coming back to. Yeah, well, you know, before we get to, I think, the sort of, well, really, particularly whodunit sort of story, let's, let's start by talking about the Supreme Court confirmation hearings for Judge Brett Kavanaugh. Um, you know, I'd say that things went really more or less as expected um, you know, because, you know, most Senate Republicans tossed out what seemed to me to be softball questions. Um, Though there were, you know, a few expressions of concern about Kavanaugh's views on executive power, which I appreciated hearing. Um, And of course, Democrats tried to get Kavanaugh to comment on substantive legal issues, which, like pretty much every nominee, he artfully dodged and evaded. I mean, that's been the that's been the rule for the last few decades. Well, and and properly so. Yeah, well, and and we can we can talk a little bit about uh, what's proper evasion and what's just saying nothing. But. You know, the other thing I wanted to point out is, of course, a Democrat, a number of Democrats expressed, um, I guess you'd call it outrage over the process, particularly that the committee confidential classification of just about 200,000 pages of documents that were related to Kavanaugh's time as staff secretary in the George W. Bush administration. Then in addition to that, there were 100,000 more pages of documents that aren't even that weren't even available to the Judiciary Committee because the Trump administration has claimed they're, protect, they're protected by executive privilege. Now, now, some of those committee confidential documents have been released to the public this week. This was at the request of Democratic senators. Uh, but that, of course, doesn't really address, I don't think, the Democrats' more fundamental argument that these hearings are being essentially rammed through by Republicans who are pretty anxious to confirm Kavanaugh in time for the start of the court's term, which is uh, October 1st. So I think that that pretty much brings us up to date. Jay, well, what's your take on what we've seen you this week? You didn't even mention Spartacus. But, you know, I figured we'll you would probably that. mention that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, uh, look, I, I think that that might be a uh, um, non, uh, what would you call it? non a legitimate argument. Um, if, if, uh, the folks like, uh, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, uh, and, uh, Dick Durbin were, were sort of sitting there thinking, man, I'm really on the fence with this guy. If only I had more to see, uh, about his record, then I might be able to make up my mind. Um, uh, but, but obviously that's, that's not the case. I mean, you and I have talked for, for you know, well, a couple of weeks ago uh, about how this stuff that they're looking for from the, uh, Bush administration uh, wouldn't reflect any of his his legal opinions, legal reasoning, his opinion at all. He was sort of the scribe, uh, essentially, for the committee, um, and uh, would have done some editing, uh, putting uh, uh, you know sort of summaries and and uh, recommendations together. Um, but you know what they're looking for is some you know some gotcha piece to to try to you know run and and uh, uh, in the case of I would say Booker and Harris. Um, uh, promote their own uh, candidacy for president. Um, so I, I think it's it's a little disingenuous when you look at the the amount of uh, documents that ha- have been produced uh, compared to other Supreme Court nominees. Uh, it's it's staggering. I mean, there there is uh, I've I've read that uh, the number of documents produced uh, for the Kavanaugh um, uh, hearings is 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 five is is more than. Uh, the last five uh, Supreme Court nominees combined. Now you can make an argument. Well, there's probably more out there just because stuff's stored electronically now. And and he had this role as the um, uh, secretary in the, the Bush administration, so that would generate more stuff. Um, but you know, look, when it comes down to it, what what really matters is uh, his written opinions. That's where where you're going to see an expression of his judicial philosophy, uh, and that's what's going to you know that's that's what ought to be being examined um, to the extent that his qualifications are are not in question. So I, I think it's it's pretty disingenuous and and a lot of uh, histrionics from the Democrats and and most again the Cory Booker thing uh, is is absolutely hilarious um, where you know certain emails were cleared for <clears throat> or certain documents I should say 
were cleared for committee use, um, which was, you know, if you're the, the folks who say, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll give you all these documents, but you got to keep them confidential with the committee. Uh, them's the rules, uh, unless uh, it, they're, they're cleared otherwise. Uh, and Cory Booker grandstanded and um, uh, went out and said he's, he's releasing these documents uh, courageously uh, in violation of the rules, uh, you know, because he is Spartacus. Uh, this is sort of his Spartacus moment, which is going to be so much fun with the, the, the campaign signs in 2020. Um, and, uh, you know, then, of, of course, those emails or those documents were then actually cleared. They, they had been cleared. They were in the pipeline for being cleared. Uh, when he did all this, and and they sort of amounted to a big, uh, you know, there was there was nothing particularly spectacular, uh, one way or the other. Uh, he uh, Kavanaugh <laughs> had sort of an anodyne uh, uh, statement on racial profiling, and that you know profiling should be uh, you know is necessary to some extent, but race should be be limited. I mean, it's I don't know. Uh, to to me, that it's it's sort of uh, I, I think the uh, uh, the Democrats on the committee, um, uh, they're playing to the base, and I get that, um, but uh, it's not going to make a difference, and, and I think they're making themselves look silly to the general electorate. Well, I'm going to agree with you on almost everything. Good. Almost everything. Okay. I, I, you're certainly right that everyone's mind is made up. I think you're certainly right that, uh, I mean, you can even question why we have hearings aside from just essentially this sort of grandstanding opportunities. And I should point out that we haven't always had uh, hearings. They only started, only started, but back in 1939, they used to be essentially, there were still hearings, but they weren't public basically. And, and uh, you know, but I think even though granting just about everything you've said, uh, I still think, that the fundamental argument about respecting the process is is important and should be honored, even if it's hypocritical because it, they're just looking for gotcha things. I don't disagree with that. I think both sides do that. But I think that if these documents are going to be, uh, you know, a- examined and and be considered at least, you know, looking, uh, I'll say this: that there were these two hundred thousand pages of documents that were released to the committee. If you're going to do that, then I think you need to give the committee enough time to reasonably look over them. Whatever their reasons are, I don't think I don't think that's material. What I think is material, especially in a time where everyone seems to be willing to jettison process to get to their preferred political outcomes, that we need to respect this process. And if these documents are going to be part of the process, then it seems to me to be only right that there be enough time to to fairly review them, even if that's not going to change anything, and so that's my position on that. Well, how much how much time would you would you give? I mean, because because here's the the game, of course, and and no, Republicans and that, to, to some extent, sure. some extent, shame on them. Um, you know, and and this is this is I wanted like on the Cory Booker thing and the, the Senate rule violation bit, even though it it turned out it wouldn't actually be a rule violation because then it was okayed, uh, it was sort of okay in the pipeline, but. But it's it's sort of a thing of of this is how you get Trump. Of, well, of, no, if, I, you're go- I, if you're going to if you're going to say okay, here's all these documents, but please, these are confidential to the committee. Okay, uh, he runs out and says, and he's going to you know make them unconfidential. At that point, you're like, come on, man. <laughs> I, I don't disagree with that, Jay. What I'm saying though is that is that you know the process. If these documents are are there, and they they are, you know, the the, the committee was given hundreds of thousands of pages of documents. And the idea that, the, for instance, the, the the Republicans would dump, you know, 40, 50,000 pages, you know, right at the very end of the process and say, oh, yeah, we've we've had, everyone's had a chance to look them over. I mean, that's just simply ludicrous. So if you're if you're going to we, we read much faster than. Yeah, people exactly. Are. So I, I really think that at least on that final point, even even if they're being disingenuous, which, you know, again, I think both sides in this are that. We need to respect the process. I think process is something that is is not honored nearly enough on that. But speaking of process, I wanted to ask you about the Senate confirmation process. I mean, again, my sense of it is the whole public hearing thing is largely pointless at this point. I, I don't I don't see that it serves any real purpose. Uh, what do you think? Well, I mean, no, any any real purpose in in terms of trying to determine whether this uh, uh, nominee ought to be on the court, 
Uh, no. Does it serve a political purpose for everybody sitting in the committee to grandstand? Sure. Yes. Um, you know, and, and and thinking back, and again, I'm I'm trying to think back of other um, Senate uh, confirmations uh, uh, judiciary confirmation. I'm hearing the first one I, I remember uh, was Judge Bork. Um, and look, I was like 16 or something, so it's not like I was like necessarily glued to the TV. Uh, but I probably had a bigger awareness of it than than most of my peers. Uh, and that was the, the first, again, that I remember that there was this, you know, the big gotcha uh, attack that was sort of launched by Ted Kennedy. Um, uh, even, I mean, I think Scalia before him, I don't think faced that kind of no, he ideological. Was, he was, he was uh, uh, confirmed by something like 90, 96 yeah. votes or something like that to you know, 96 to four or something like that. But yeah. So, so to me, I mean, it seems like the, the process, the, the reason for the confirmations, confirmation hearings used to be sort of a, uh, more just, here's an introduction of our nominee, uh, you know, get to know them, uh, hope, hope you like them. Uh, and you do sort of the, the basic, uh, look, does this guy have the, the qualifications uh, to be a Supreme court justice? And I would say, uh, you know, of all the, of the nominees that, that, have been out there. Uh, I would say that's pretty strong. I mean, I think there's a case of like, remember Harriet Myers? Mm-hmm. Um, that was sort of. I mean, I think she was. Look, was she qualified to be a Supreme Court justice? I don't know, maybe, but she did, she didn't certainly have the the resume that uh, Brett Kavanaugh had, uh, or even a Merrick Garland, or or um, uh, um, you know, name your other you know sure. justices. So so look, I think that's a that's a fair thing of 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 uh you know look let's let's look into what they did on the uh district or appellate courts uh or what they've written as a law professor or, or whatever but um you know it it used to be sort of a baseline uh does this guy have what it takes to do the job uh does this guy or or woman have what it takes to do the job um and and sort of let's get a you know introduce him to the american people to some extent um and then it it uh, it changed in uh, in 1987. Yeah, uh, and you know, and and certainly both sides. I think you, you would be willing to admit that both sides do it uh, because this is sort of a, a bipartisan political grandstanding. It just depends on yeah. who is. Uh, yeah, you seem a little reluctant. I mean, well, uh, no, but, the but Republicans look- wouldn't even give uh, wouldn't even give Barack Obama's uh, nominee a hearing. So you know, both sides right, do it, Jay. But let's look at those. Let, let's look at the the hearings. Um, um, of of uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, uh, and um, uh, uh, Obama's other nominee. Um, we got to do this show later in the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I don't uh, really I mean, want. I, I mean, I don't think we should. I don't think there's any point in getting into a into a who did what to whom first. Right. I mean, the point is, is that this is something that this has become political theater. This has become grandstanding from both parties, and regardless of who the nominee is, the the people of that party ask these questions. So, can you tell me why you're such a great American and talk about your sure. work with the poor and and helpless and all that? And the other, you know, the other side you know, clearly is just looking for. For gotchas, essentially, and that's just well, how the game is played. Let me though point that to the some extent the ridiculousness to which it, it's raised. There was a, a Jonah Goldberg piece talking about. If you heard about this, the the Kavanaugh law clerk with the alleged white power hand symbol. I uh, the, I am happy to say that I have not heard about that. Yes, well, this was came out of of sort of, and I'm not going to uh, ascribe this to the uh, you know sort of the typical Democrat party. It was sort of the the fever swamps of the left, um, but. In in watching the video, uh, someone hypothesized that the way that this uh, former law clerk was holding her hands was some sort of white power symbol uh, that was being secretly transmitted, uh, therefore, to all the the, uh, the Klansmen who were glued to the TV watching this. Yeah, there, there are um, people with too much and, time on their hands. I and, think. And, and and again, would would then, I guess, contact their senators and uh, ask them to affirm Kavanaugh. Um but I mean, just the absolute ridiculousness of this when one also considers that uh, this law clerk was of uh, Mexican heritage, uh, born in Mexico. She's married to a uh, Jewish man. Um, again, it's it's you know, and, and I think also the some of the statements, just again that that you know people will die if if Kavanaugh is uh, is nominated. Uh, or if he's not, I'm pretty sure people will die either well, way. No, but, I think uh, you people, know. I, well, right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's, people will die because he's nominated uh, is sort of the, the implication. Um, 
uh, just just really, I think, strikes a lot of average Americans as, uh, you know, again, when he's come on, man. Um, so it, it plays it plays well to the base. Uh, but I think on both sides. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think the one thing we know is that uh, Brett Kavanaugh will be almost certainly will be confirmed sometime before October 1st, and he will be the, the ninth justice on the court when it, uh, when it starts I its think new so. term on yes. October 1st. Unless you were to like, like, like go to a Klan rally next week or something like that, uh, which, which I doubt. He might lose a few <laughs> votes, yeah. He, he, he'd still he'd go down the narrow defeat or something, I don't know. But anyway, um, let, let's move on and talk about, I think, the story that had sort of everyone talking this week. Uh, and, you know, I want to start by saying that, you know, for really, I think the entirety of Donald Trump's presidency, we've been reading and hearing accounts of uh, reckless impulsiveness, paranoia, downright chaos in the administration from all sorts of paranoia. Of can you blame him? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people should be out to get him, I think. But, I, but the, the consistent theme is that all of this emanates from Donald Trump himself. He is the master of chaos, you know, uh, and there have been countless stories about how various administration officials have been trying to manage him or work around the president, that sort of thing. And so, you know, in one sense, the leak, the leaking of those passages from Bob, Bob Woodward's upcoming book on the Trump administration and that anonymous op-ed in the New York Times about a resistance inside the administration, they're not in a sense, all that surprising. But, but in another sense, you know, this can be seen, I think, as a pretty big deal. I mean, for one thing, Bob Woodward isn't just some journalist, any guy, right? I mean, he's, right. he's been sort of like the gold standard chronicler of presidencies from Nixon on. He's written multiple books on uh, the Clinton, Bush, and Obama and presidencies. Everything. Yeah. Everyone talks to Bob Woodward. I mean, I don't think yes. there's anyone who has more access and if there's a more sort of mainstream, respected political journalist slash author in the country, I don't know who it is. Um, and but, but, you know, it's not like there's anything truly new here. But I think that because he has this reputation for incredible, incredibly meticulous reporting and fair reporting, at least again, in mainstream, I think that elevates these sort of piecemeal things that we've heard. But again, nothing really new. Um, right. But but then well, I, 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 I will I will interject though okay, some yeah. of the stuff that, that on the the Woodward uh, stuff for example they're saying there are quotes of of Kelly saying that uh, uh, Trump is an idiot uh, Mattis uh, making similar statements and, and these cabinet officials have denied making those statements um, and to me that that strikes me as I'm not again I don't know enough about where this was sourced um, you know but if if uh, certainly General Kelly I don't think sat down with an interview with Bob Woodward and said, let me tell you, Bob, on the record, uh, yeah, of course <laughs> the president's an no. idiot. And, and just to be uh, clear. And, are, and I don't think Bob Woodward would just make up a quote from, from General Kelly. And I would expect that if, if the, he had a quote from General Kelly from someone else, he would verify it with him. Um, and that's, that's what's a little concerning to me, that, that some of this just doesn't seem to, to match up. Now, well, you, yeah, again, you could, somebody's lying. I mean, yeah. and, and I would think that the what Woodward is known for, among other things, is, you know, checking things through multiple sources. So he would not, uh, he does not have a reputation for publishing things as factually occurring if he did not get confirmation from multiple sources. Right. And, and so the, the, the problem, of course, is still the, the whole anonymous source bit. Sure. That and that's, that's that. I mean, there's, of course, a long tradition of that that goes back to the founding of, you know, of, of sure. the country. So I have this idea that there's something inherently uh, questionable about anonymous sources. Well, then, you know, I, yeah, that's I think that's, you know, I think that's sort of ridiculous. But. But OK, but then there's that, you know, that bombshell New York Times op ed piece from, yes, an anonymous source that the Times characterizes characterized as a senior official in the Trump administration, where the author said that there are many senior officials working to, well, while they like a lot of the policies of the administration, at the same time, they're working to, in the words of the author, frustrate parts of President Trump's agenda, as well as kind of uh, mute his worst inclinations. And then he mentions at the beginning, he or she mentions at the beginning of the presidency, there were even some whispers within the cabinet, very specifically within the cabinet, yes. about potentially invoking the 25th Amendment 
but they decided they didn't want to precipitate a constitutional crisis. And so they said, well, we'll just essentially work around the president where we feel like he's got some really bad ideas. Right. I mean, would that be a fair characterization? Of I, that's that? a, yeah, it's a pretty good characterization. Okay. Now, um, now, now, that, I think, is something uh, a little different. Uh, for one thing, that whole idea of, well, we didn't want to precipitate a constitutional crisis. I would argue, as a number of people pointed out, that's exactly what you're doing if you're working right. around the, yes. you know, the <laughs> democratically elected president of the United States. And, and if there is a constitutional uh, process for removing him, well, you're not. It's not a constitutional crisis that's using the constitution. Right. Exactly. And that's, people kind of throw that yeah. term around, but really, it would just be a, a, a extraordinarily big deal, but not a, a constitutional yeah. crisis. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. So, and you know, just to be clear, I want to I wanted to talk about that Twenty Fifth Amendment issue um, for for people who who don't know. I mean, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren came out saying that well, it seems like maybe it's time to invoke the Twenty Fifth Amendment. And you know, I think it's important to actually. I don't know how many people have actually read the Twenty Fifth Amendment. I did this week. I reread it. Um. I read it. I didn't read it this week. But well, I, read it. I read it just a few. In fact, I read it yesterday. And the 25th Amendment applies when the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. Now, Donald Trump is not unable to discharge the powers and duties of the office. He's just discharging them in a way that a lot of people find repugnant, me among them. But sure. that's different than saying that he can't do that. He's somehow incapacitated and can't do these things. He's just doing a lot of things I think are really awful, as do apparently even some people inside his administration. But that doesn't mean he can be removed for that reason. So I, I don't even think the 25th Amendment applies here. Uh, Jay, what's your thought on that? Well, apparently neither the, neither the cabinet. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, absolutely. I agree. I mean, uh, look, if there is and people have pointed this out about the the op-ed writer. If there is actual evidence that that Trump is uh, somehow out of touch with reality, right? Right? I mean, dangerously. Sure. I mean, mentally, mentally ill. Not just he's making bad decisions, decisions they don't like, or is impulsive. Um, but if you know he wakes up tomorrow and says, "Let's nuke Finland," you know, right, something sure, like absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. In that kind of case, uh, I think you could say his his mental capacity is such or, or you know, such that, you know, he's not able to discharge his duties. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, I don't I don't see. Look, he's he's getting stuff done and maybe you don't like it. Uh, uh, maybe it's certainly frustrating to work with him. Um, but uh, that that's not a cause for essentially overturning an election. Yeah. Um, on, on, the, on the, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, on the, on the issue of, well, is this a, a real high ranking official? I think the answer to that is almost certainly yes. Uh, the, the name, this name is going to eventually come out. There's been a furious effort to, to find out who this is. And it seems almost certain that at some point this person is going to be the name, the name of this person is going to be revealed. And the New York Times isn't going to risk its its reputation by essentially lying about this. So this isn't some low-level staffer. Uh, this is somebody yeah, who is I, prominent in the administration because this this is going to come out. Now, Now the president is saying that the Department of Justice should investigate it, which the, the Department of Justice has no legal authority to do. Uh, right. uh, you know, so that's just Donald Trump being Donald Trump and not understanding, you know, the law. Actually, well, but it, I, there there would be. I mean, there would be. Um, first of all, I would say yes. First blush, I would say it's it's this is a Department of Justice thing. It's a you know White House HR department exactly. uh, sort of sort of thing. Um, but to the extent that if you've got someone uh, out there who is is actively um, this adverse, I mean, I, I think there could be issues with you know security and so forth. I mean, uh, presumably you screen these people when they come in. Um, uh, and and I think this this could give rise to concern about, um, you know, look, I mean, should Omarosa have, have had a security clearance and been able to do what she was doing? No, absolutely not. Um, so I, I don't know. And I, I, would, I, would I, wanna, I would disagree. Okay, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, on the Omarosa thing, I think that's, you know, we can certainly say, or a lot of people certainly would argue that the, that the president is uh, guilty of spectacularly bad personnel judgment. Um but again, that doesn't mean that he's incapacitated. That that may be a tragedy for the right. country. But there is, as far as I can tell, there is only one constitutionally uh, legitimate way 
to do anything about this, and that is through the impeachment and conviction process that's laid out in the Constitution, not the 25th Amendment. You know, that, that doesn't apply here. So if these things raised to, are raised to this level, I would say, and you know, there have been a number of uh, conservative critics I've noticed who've, who've said the same thing, and, and I'll agree with them that this person should, in fact, you know, uh, speak out publicly. And this, I mean, there needs to be some sort of documentation backing up of this, because if, if, if Donald Trump right. is in this bad of a, of a state, then he, he or she, this person owes it to the American public, to, to, to the country. To, to come out with this. And it's sort of sad. I guess, you know, we, uh, there's been a lot of talk about the motives of the author. And I would say, you know, maybe this is what happens when for decades, generations, maybe even you have a culture that says, well, you know what? The most important thing here is me. Uh, and I'd sure like the help, but you know, it's, it's, it's a uh, job security before country. Sir. Well, and I thought and, this was actually kind of funny. Again, the New York times said that they were, were publishing this piece anonymously, you know, and this is that they took great pains in trying to determine whether or not they should publish it anonymously sure. uh, in order because they thought they needed to protect this person's job. Um, and that struck me like, seriously? Um, well, <laughs> you know, I disagree I'm, because I mean, that's the call. I, I'm sure that the person who was, uh, that the person who wrote that wrote it and under the conditions that it could only be published if, and so I, I think the times just waited on that basis. So they don't, they don't really have a choice in the matter. They're not going to reveal their sources, but you know, it's no, up to their, their choices. They can say, no, we're not going to publish it. Sure, but no, I think it was, val I think it, it was, was important there. to publish. I think they did the right oh, thing in publishing it because with any luck that will, you know, that will lead to this person revealing him or herself and, and lead to some, you know, uh, serious consideration of, of these. If that, issues. Were, if that were, if that were the situation, then why doesn't the times just tell us who it is? Because newspapers, there's also, there's journalists also the don't reveal the, their sources just the, because they think it would be sort of the, the, ir the irony of their New York times reporters trying to determine who the anonymous source is that the New York times published. Um, that should make you feel good. I mean, that, that suggests that they're very serious about this sort of thing, that there is this wall of separation between the news department, between the news operation and the, the editorial operation. That's how it should be, Jay. It should be. And it should absolutely. There should be a wall between the editorial operation and the news operation. Yeah. I agree. And I think um, and I think I want to say that, you know, this is not the, it's not the failing New York Times. The New York Times, just like the Wall Street Journal, I would argue on the other side, they take that seriously. And I think that's great. And that's why I, you know, I salute, I think that the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and, and the Washington Post are, are three of the most valuable resources we have uh, in the media in this country. And it just, I think it's just such an incredible disaster that the president has no problems denigrating them for his own personal gain. Well, let me, let me ask you this though, wouldn't it be incumbent uh, upon these uh, 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 guardians of our democracy. Two, if if there is this talk that there is a fifth column at work inside the Trump administration trying to overrule, overturn uh, the president's wishes, there should be a massive investigation into this, right? Absolutely. Who Absolutely. else is in it? Who else is involved? Who else is defying presidential orders? Yep. Um, that's that's a big deal. You're not really seeing that. And second, I, th I think you're, well, we don't you're know for now. Now, 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 let me push back on that before we move on to your second point. We don't know what sort of an investigation there is about this in the media. So let's not we, we can't make that conclusion yet. I'm sure that there are plenty of people who are scrambling to try to uh, corroborate some of this. But obviously, just due to the nature of the story, it's difficult to do. So I, I, I wanted to just disagree with you on that first point. But go ahead. All right. So. My my other, I, I'm going to disagree with you very much on the source of this. Uh, we, you and I, we can even come up with some kind of wager, if you will. Uh, I do not think it's going to be some sort of senior level, high level cabinet official. Uh, my guess is, uh, when and if this comes out, it's going to be someone like the assistant to the deputy undersecretary, um, you know, for wetlands preservation. Um, you know, it's it's uh, not that I'm trying to out that person if there's, if, you know, but. <laughs> Um, I, I don't. I think it's going to be uh, someone who works in the administration uh, whose title has perhaps been stretched uh, to say um, uh, senior administration official. Um, at which point, the New York Times will will be embarrassed, and then will walk back and come up with the 
well, yes, but it's still all all true anyway. Um, uh, type type response. And and I think you're kind of premising this on uh, the idea that that look, it's important to publish this because it must come from someone um, uh, in a high up position. Uh, and again, I I I just I don't I haven't seen that that premise because there's nothing there's nothing in the op ed, for example, that would indicate that this person has some sort of uh, real knowledge of of uh, things that are going on. It's it's not even as as uh, uh, precise or, or documented as as the Woodward book. Someone could have read a bunch of op op eds of of just other things here and there, and written this. And oh, it's chaos! It's chaos. People are trying to keep them, you know, from doing dumb stuff. And to some extent, there's also look in any any job you've got, right? If you're an assistant to someone. Uh, your job is to try to prevent them from it's it's to carry out their orders, but it's also to try to prevent them from stepping on their own feet. Um, and and I'm sure there's there's times where yeah you try to steer stuff, but there's there's a big difference between advising uh, and and trying to override a decision. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as to your bet, I, I would take it under the condition that we sort of stipulate what a uh, you know what. What constitutes? Sure. Because I think there are going to be some people when this person's name is revealed, which I, I would you agree is is going to happen sooner or later? I don't know. I mean, they. I mean, I I thought about that. That yeah, it's going to happen sooner or later. But then again, consider that that uh, Deep Throat, uh, you know that that was kept quiet for basically forty years. Yeah. I I think I think we're we're a lot better at finding out those things. But but yeah, I think that though on the right the. They're going to say, well, unless it's essentially John Kelly or something like that, that's not a senior administration or or a cabinet, you know, or or cabinet secretary. It's not senior. So I think it's important to have some sort of some sort of a uh, understanding of what we mean by senior. Now, certainly, we know some people fall into that. I, I don't think it's going to be one of the cabinet secretaries. I don't think it's the chief of staff or a deputy chief of staff or or anyone quite that high. But I also don't think it's whatever, the, the deputy assistant secretary for wetlands management or something like that. Right. So uh, that's who it is. Yeah. For <laughs> <laughs> that person. Anyway. So 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 I guess I, guess I, I listen to our show. Saying, no, it's not me. I didn't do it. <laughs> so I guess I will say provisionally. Yes. But we'll probably have to spar a little bit about uh, a little bit about what that means. Fair enough. OK. Um. Before we move on, let me, let me just okay, like, one, one last thing I just want to throw yeah, out the absolutely. irony of, there's sometimes just weird things happen at the same time, you know, sure. coincidence in life, but the whole, you know, again, with the Cory Booker invoking, invoking Spartacus, um, and, and wrongfully, right? Because if, you know, the whole point in, in Spartacus at the end there is the Romans don't really know who Spartacus is. Right. Yeah. He so, missed the reference. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah it was he a, completely, in this case, with the anonymous uh, source, this is exactly where you need to have a Spartacus moment, where this guy stands up and yeah. says, "I am." Yeah. Um, so it, it just sort of the, the, the two the two trains passing in the night there. Yeah. Of, of uh, well, it was funny on that point before we move on uh, that I saw a number of accounts where I said, "Well, you know, it's going to be really hard to find this person because it could be so many people." And I thought, right, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's, a, that's a sad commentary, but uh, anyway. Um, all right. So before we do move on to our next story, we would like to thank our newest supporter. And that is Don, who is our, our newest monthly sustaining supporter through PayPal. Yeah, You can do that through PayPal or Patreon. And so thank you, Don, uh, for your generous monthly contribution. We really do appreciate it. Thank you, Don. And, you know, of course, when you become a supporter of the show like Don, it's not only that you're helping to keep us going, but you then get access to our special supporters only after show last week, uh, Trey and I talked about uh, a federal court's order to withdraw or to withdraw, we redraw North Carolina's congressional districts before the November elections, which, wow, um, as well as another mass shooting this week. Jay and I have some great stuff lined up for you as well. So if you'd like to become a supporter, uh, just uh, go to politicsguys.com slash support. That's a direct link or politicsguys.com and you will see the support the show uh, links there. Thank you very much. All right, moving on. This week, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey named John Kyle to the Arizona Senate seat that became vacant with the death of John McCain. Now, the 76-year-old Kyle served alongside McCain as the junior Arizona senator from 1995 until Kyle retired at the end of 2012. 
Now, Kyle said that he's willing to serve until the end of the current Congress, at least. So it's possible that Governor Ducey might have to make another appointment if Kyle steps down in January of 2019. And Ducey is, he's himself running for re-election, though, uh, unless there's a really colossal Democratic wave, it looks like he's safe to win uh, another term. I also wanted to point out that in his final year in the Senate, and this was 2012, National Journal ranked Kyle as the 15th most conservative member of the Senate. He was tied with Mitch McConnell, and this is based on voting records. And by way of comparison, McCain was ranked the 28th most, most conservative that year. So just to give people a little bit of background there. So so what did you think about this appointment, Jay? I was good. I mean, I look, I, I think this is... Uh, you're you're putting in someone who is what most people would call mainstream Republican, um, uh, someone who's who's been at the job before, is is steady, is, um, you know, I, I would say non-controversial, really. I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, Democrats would rather see uh, see someone else, but um, but he's not particularly a a you know, you say he's fifteenth. Um, well, that's that's not particularly a, a firebrand. He's not. Uh, uh, Ted Cruz. Right. Um, um, so I, I think, I think it's a good choice. Uh, it's certainly a safe choice. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, I think Senator Kyle will do fine. Yeah. And I think certainly the, the fact that he served in the Senate for so long means he's obviously going to be able to, to hit the ground running. There's no real He'll learning have curve. The relationships, exactly. you know, the existing and so forth. Yeah. Which really wouldn't have been the case for for almost anyone else that the governor could have, you know, conceivably uh, nominated or you know appointed to that position. So yeah, I, certainly I would have liked to have seen somebody who was uh, as as moderate as McCain, but that really wasn't in the cards. And uh, you know, the, the fact that both uh, Donald Trump, uh, John McCain's family, and Jeff Flake were all well in favor of this yeah. move suggests that, you know, I, I think it's, this is probably well, and, about yeah, this. Yeah. This was a, this was a thing no one could say no to. If you yeah. tried to pick someone else, then you would have had sides jockeying. For exactly. This guy versus this guy. Uh, you pick this uh, John Kyle, essentially elder statesman sort of person. Uh, no one can really object to it. So yeah, exactly. I mean, he, and, and, you know, while he's less, he's more conservative than McCain, he's also, he also has a reputation for being uh, somebody who's willing to, uh, well, not exactly throw bombs, but work work together, at least try to work out some things here or there. So you know, I, I really think that given the fact that it's a, you know, that the, the governor is a, is a Republican, this is about as good as it could potentially get for for Democrats, which wasn't going to be that good in the first place. You know? Yeah. So, well, and I, you know, I would differ a little with you with saying like less conservative than McCain. Uh, McCain, to some extent, it's not that he wasn't conservative or maybe it wasn't conservative, but it was uh, I kind of class McCain. <laughs> yeah, it was it was sort of yeah difficult to determine any particular ideology. Um, uh, I think McCain tended to make decisions not along ideological grounds, but uh, just on sort of what John McCain thought. Uh, you yeah. know, sort of, sort of at that at any given moment. So, um, yeah, McCain was probably more conservative than Kyle on some issues, and and, and less so on others. But. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, there were a number of tech related developments in the news this week. Uh, let's see here. First, uh, Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg and Twitter's Jack Dorsey testified before Congress and you know, uh, legislators from both sides expressed concerns about how prepared Facebook and Twitter were to uh, push back against Russian or, or other outside interference in the upcoming elections. And there were also some Republicans who questioned whether the companies were unfairly targeting conservative voices for removal from their services. Now, Sandberg and Dorsey said they were far better prepared for 2018 than we were for 2016. Uh, we don't target based on ideology. We, we base our decisions about removing content and removing users, which happened to Alex Jones this week on Twitter, solely on our terms of service agreements. Also this week, right. The Justice Department, but, but still, but I, I, ironically, though Twitter has—I mean—they still won't identify exactly which policies uh, Jones uh, supposedly violated. I thought I thought that they did. Uh, was well, anyway, well, we can get into that. Yeah. But but I also I'll point out that the Justice Department announced it was going to be convening a meeting of several state attorneys general to discuss whether tech companies are purposefully stifling free speech and obstructing competition. Now, the meeting is reportedly scheduled for September twenty fifth. 
though there's been no indication of which attorneys general are going to be invited. Now, to me, Jay, it seems like there are two issues here. Uh, first, the ability of social media and search companies to filter out false and misleading information. And then second, and, and I guess this is a related issue as well, uh, the issue of whether or not conservatives are being unfairly targeted. So yeah. what are your thoughts on this? Um, all right, let's, let, let me take the, the Yeah, take the it however second, you want. Sure, the second go ahead. one first. Yeah. Um, our conservatives unfairly targeted, you know, they make the case that, and there's, there's a couple different pieces to this because certainly I don't think it's any, any, uh, mystery or, or any secret that, uh, the cultures of these big tech companies is overwhelmingly liberal. And we saw that with the guy who got fired from, uh, from Google for complaining about the, uh, culture being overwhelmingly liberal. <laughs> so, well, before you, let me, let me push back slightly on it. I would yeah. say it's more overwhelmingly libertarian. Yeah, right, I mean, right, but, right. but you know, on social issues, is. certainly on social issues, certainly it's <laughs> which is which liberal, is why which they fired the guy for complaining about it being uh, lib yeah. libertarians typically don't fire people for complaining that they're overly libertarian. Okay, so we'll call it liberal liberal libertarian. Okay, how yeah. about that? Okay, fair enough. Uh, uh, so uh, no, I think there's definitely that if if you track the where the pack money from these these folks go and their their CEOs who who they support, it it flows. Uh, by and large, if almost not exclusively to uh, to liberal candidates, uh, they live on the West Coast for the most part, which is the most liberal place. So I, I don't think it's it's not irrational to say, hey, is is there some sort of bias going on here? Um, uh, to me, the, the the second question though is is should the government be wading into this? Uh, and and I would I would say as to quote. Uh, it was someone on TV who said, look, the only person I would trust less than, uh, you know, uh, Google and so forth to, to censor views or decide what's get published is the federal government. Right. Um, so for me, from more of a libertarian standpoint, I'd, I'd rather the, the government just stay out of it. Now, if you want to do hearings and say, hey, look, is everybody getting a fair shake and so forth? I think that's that's good enough. But if you start talking about uh, we need to regulate this, uh, that that will ruffle certainly a lot of, of my feathers. And I think it's one of those, you know, be careful what you, you wish for. Sure. Uh, conservatives argued for, for years, and I think rightfully so, against the what was the fairness doctrine uh, in broadcast media. Uh, and I don't think we want a, a, a new fairness doctrine um, uh, for the Internet. I agree. Um, and, and I think there's, there's something to be said, too, for... Look, I, I, I don't know what the, the secret algorithms are and so forth, and, and no one really does. But my understanding is, look, and if you do searches, you are going to pull up more liberal stuff. I mean, that's kind of my experience. Uh, but a lot of that is based on just because here's what's reported in the mainstream media, which gets the most views, the most clicks, uh, and is, is sort of then pulled in first. And that tends to be more liberal. Um, and, and I think liberals just have a bigger online presence than what conservatives do. Um, so I, I think there are there are natural reasons why an algorithm would would tend to uh, appear to be be science and conservative voices, uh, whether they whether they are doing so intentionally or not. Um, uh, the other, I mean, the other, the other thing than Alex Jones, though, of course, uh, what what troubles me with that is, you know, Alex Jones is is uh, crazier than a bag of cats. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, and again, there, I don't think there's any real, you know discussion, uh, uh, you know, a real difference, uh, 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 and most, most Republicans, conservatives would agree. Uh, their concern there is, uh, well, if, if someone says, well, this Alex Jones um, uh, is, is absolutely crazy, so we're going to, it's hate speech or whatever, we're going to uh, shut him off. Uh, is George Will next? You know, I mean, but, that's the... But, but of course... And, and, you, and, and you and I see a big difference between George Will yeah. uh, uh, and, and Alex Jones, but I think a lot on the left and, and folks who run tech companies might not. But, but of course, I mean, the, the idea that Alex Jones is this, you know, is this party who has, who has no recourse. I think in any other circumstance, uh, people on the, on the right and hopefully people on the left would say that, well, if he feels that he is, he was unfairly terminated from the service and that he didn't violate the terms of service, sure. well then sure, he's got he, a contractual right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's how that should be handled. Not to, not to haul the company that did this into the, you know, into congressional hearings and say, explain yourself. I mean, that's, you know, that, that seems to me, and I was talking about 
about this with Trey last week. That seems to be anathema to free market Republicans, certainly, you know. I, I would agree. No, that's I'm I'm with you there. I, now, uh, look, I, I think it's not inappropriate to to, you know, again, reach out to these tech companies and have them testify before Congress, because we've got situations where it, here we've got uh, a, a power that has not been really seen uh, at any time in, in U.S. Yeah. history and something completely yeah. new. So I, so to say, look, to make sure that that power is being exercised responsibly uh, in both in both ways, in that, you know, we're not getting to the Russians, you know, putting up Facebook pages, uh, which will destroy the country. Uh, and, and you're not having crazy Alex Jones, too. But um, well, uh, well, you know, in that and you know, I think- so I, but but again, but it, to me, that's one thing to inquire and to say, what are you doing to make sure that all views are, are being represented? And another to to threaten either explicitly or implicitly uh, some type of regulation. Well, and that's why I would say that when I when I heard about that Justice Department meeting, I said, well, you know, I I can totally understand the argument to to take a look at these companies to see if they're obstructing competition. That there's from a, a competition standpoint, a, yeah. Because ideally, in in a in a perfect world, in a perfect market system, competition would take care of these things. If, you know, if somebody is saying that their voice is not being heard, well, then they can go ahead and create a competitor so their voice right. can get out there, if which you is... Think, yes. If you think CNN is too liberal, well, then start Fox, Fox News. News. Exactly. Fox News or, yeah, create it. So, yeah. Exactly. So I'm, I'm on board with that part, but the stifling, making sure that companies are stifling, you know, aren't stifling free speech, that gets me really, really nervous. So I'm... Um, yeah. No, I agreed. Yeah. And also this week on a tech-related issue, uh, Secretary of Homeland Security Kirsten Nielsen said this week that, let's see, cyber weapons and sophisticated hacking pose a greater threat to the United States than the risk of physical attacks. And she urged states to add more safeguards to their systems. She specifically mentioned ensuring that there's a paper trail of every vote cast. I mean, I've been concerned about this for a while, and I think all states should institute this sort of thing. I, I, did, I did a little research on this, and there are, there are currently five states with no paper trail voting records, Delaware, Georgia, Louisiana, New Jersey, and South Carolina, and oh. 10 more that don't have paper trails in all of their jurisdiction. And altogether, it adds up to around 20% of registered voters nationwide casting votes without any sort of hard copy documentation. And I think we should be pretty concerned about that. Jay, yep. what do you think? Yeah, amen. Uh, remember back in uh, 2001, all the Democrats wanted to be able to vote over the internet? You um, know, I, I think this is the example of unintended consequences. You right, think something's a right. good idea. And, and you know, uh, I, back then people probably weren't thinking about, oh, you know, the Russians might try to, you know, it was, you go. yeah, it was the whole, yeah. Cause after Florida and the butterfly ballot and, and darn it, these paper ballots are just too, too darn confusing. Um, uh, yeah, there was there was a big push that everything ought to be electronic, uh, and then we we sort of ended up with in most places sort of a hybrid, right? If you've got uh, some sort of paper thing which is tabulated electronically, mm-hmm. or something you vote electronically which is then reflected on a paper, um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I've I've been against uh, I've, I've been for paper ballots for for forever, and I'm I'm happy to stick with them. Yeah. Now I think that. The simplest way to do this, and this is where you'll, I maybe, maybe disagree with me. The simplest way to do this would be for the the federal government to allot a reasonable amount of money to the states to upgrade their systems, but make you know, make that money essentially contingent on their instituting a system that has a you know some sort of a paper trail sort of thing. So it would be a it would be a you know a grant of money to the states. With the condition, you have to have a you know have to have a system that does that because of course the states ultimately get to decide how they run their own voting system and that's I think right. that's both a good thing and a bad thing. The, I actually wouldn't change that system because what that means is it makes it a lot harder to right. in a broad you have way, to hack instead of having to hack it, one federal system you have to hack either 50 state systems or perhaps even every mm-hmm. county within those 50 states. Exactly. And so I think that's actually the distributed nature is actually a strength. But I understand where in a lot of these jurisdictions that don't have this backup thing, it seems to me just looking at the states tend to be from states who maybe have some resource issues in the first place. And this is not the sort of thing that states are necessarily crazy about throwing a lot of money into for 
for understandable reasons. And so I think having having more money at the federal level given to these states to do this, again, under that condition would be a reasonable way to solve this problem. Obviously, it's way too late to do that for 2018, but certainly we could do something like that for 2020. And I definitely like to see that. Yeah. And well, I'll say I, I don't disagree with you there. Awesome. Well, well there um, you go. I, no, because look, it, 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 to me, and again, as, as a conservative, as, uh, I think there are, uh, that wasn't me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there there are certain uh, core uh, governmental functions that, that we ought to uh, look to the federal government to provide. And and this sort of security for uh, our the integrity of our voting system, to me, would, would be one of them. It's kind of right along with national security. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, falls in that same kind of category. So. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, that that's nice to. That's, that's that's not to say that they're going to spend too much and the money's going to get wasted and it's going sure. to be sent to wrong contractors and it's going to take too long and the system won't work anyway. But I'm saying, in principle, I yeah. don't ob- well, object. Well, in principle, <laughs> that we can we can end on that the principle uh, agreement. Though, of course, I should mention everyone that as soon as we are done recording this show in just a few minutes, we're going to be doing our special supporters exclusive after bonus show. And I think this week we'll talk about uh, Bernie Sanders' Stop Bezos Act, uh, as well as, uh, let's see, uh, uh, Ben Sass's uh, thoughts on Congress abdicating its authority. I thought that was a great uh, op-ed he had in in the uh, Wall Street Journal. I know, Jay, you posted It's like he listens to our show. You know, it it really is. Uh, And maybe then also uh, Jay's appreciation of Burt Reynolds, and I think I can appreciate Burt as as well. So there you go. If you're a supporter— well, that's going to be waiting for you by the time you hear this, at least if I'm doing my job. If you're not a supporter and you'd like to check it out, again, politicsguys.com slash support, or just go to politicsguys.com and click on those support the show links that you'll see there. But for now, that's it for us. Thanks for listening. We do hope you like what you heard. And if you could, if you haven't already subscribed to the show, that would be a huge, huge help. Also sharing episodes, that would be great if you could share this episode with your your friends, enemies, people you vaguely know, whatever, uh, that would be awesome. Uh, and as would leaving reviews and ratings of the show on iTunes. If you have a question for us, we're always looking for questions, uh, things you think we got wrong, if you need you know, clarifications, what have you, for our listener mail shows, that would be great. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at mail at politicsguys.com. There's also our Facebook page where you can message us and we post stuff throughout the week. That's facebook.com slash politicsguys page. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Orndorff, and Bruce Johnson. Today's show is produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.